Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. Today, we look back on an incredible Solheim Cup, ask what's next for the FedEx Cup format and discuss Ryder Cup implications at Wentworth this week. Hi guys, Justin Rose here and welcome to the Golf Monthly Clubhouse podcast. The Clubhouse is brought to you by Titleist, the number one choice of players on the PGA Tour, including FedEx Cup champion Patrick Cantlay. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. My name is Dan. I'm joined as always by Elliot. How are you doing, mate? Hey Dan. Yep, doing good, mate. You all right? Yeah, mate. Just had a lovely alfresco lunch in this this Indian summer we're having. Three days of summer. Um, so I'm a bit, I'm a bit sleepy, to be honest, but this chat's going to perk me up. I know that. Yeah, I was tempted to go out in the garden for a beer, actually, but um, no, I st- stayed uh, bolted to my desk, had a nice little lunch and, you know, yeah. back on the horse for the podcast. Good, good. Maybe a bit later, maybe a bit after the podcast. I think that, that sounds good. Um, how have you been? It's been a couple of weeks. You've been, been playing much golf? Uh, yeah, I've been playing loads, as always, to be honest. Um, had uh, quite a good competition at the weekend, actually. It was the autumn meeting week one. Had singles in the morning and then foursomes in the afternoon. So 36 oh, holes, cool. absolutely love foursomes. It's possibly my favourite format of golf, actually. Just uh, Obviously, you need the right partner. If you're playing with somebody who is, um, <laughs> you know, hitting in the bushes and trees every time, then it's not fun. But if you've got a really good partner and, and a good little team vibe going on, then it's great fun. And I loved it. We didn't do very well in the end. We had a couple of blobs, but um, nah, it's got to be one of the best formats in the game. You know what? I've never played foursomes. I don't, not even not even in like a chuck up with my mates. We always talk about it, and then we get on the first tee and like, actually, I kind of like to put a card in today, or something, or something along those lines. I don't think. No, I've ne- I've never played foursomes, but I agree that it looks fun. Can I kind of <laughs> say that? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's not really something that you do for fun, is it? It's more like a yeah, competition format. Be a comp, and, it? Yeah, um, our club has foursomes quite a lot. Actually, it's foursomes. Um, in both the spring and the autumn meetings and there's a couple of foursomes competitions just like one day is and then there is the knockout as well which i got knocked out into but um yeah good advocate foursomes is with my club maybe i'll get stuck in i think we have a winter comp that does it we don't do many day foursomes comps that you mentioned at my club um but i'll tell you what something came out of my golf club this week is our slope index changed Elliot, quite dramatically as well so members knew the course was getting measured at some point but we had no idea when it was coming in anyway it's gone up by 10 points from 122 to 132 so i've gained a few shots this weekend i've not even been playing oh brilliant i know so, living the dream what's your handicap change to around there then well so my index is 9.8 and i got 10 and i now get i think i get 12 off the whites no oh. it'll be i think it'll be 11 or 11 or 12 off the whites either way i've gained a shot by sitting that's... on my ass so everyone's happy well, that's pretty good um so yeah, I've been handing in loads of cards. I've done six, I think, in that last five or four weeks. Yeah. Um, just desperate to get my handicap up, basically, because all my good scores are from like 2018 and 19. So they're going to um, get knocked off the end, right, if you put some cards in? Yeah. So I, at the weekend, I knocked a one over par round out for like a new 15 over par one. Um, <laughs> not on purpose, by the way. I'm just, <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm just not the player I once was. Um, and my my handicap's only based on seven scores now, which is a bit weird. So That's you know, it should, it should be your best eight out of twenty. Right. But only seven accounting. So um, any listeners, if if you know what that's about, then, then please get in touch because I'm a bit confused. 
I better keep an eye on mine. That that shouldn't be the case. Maybe something something's going on there. Worth keeping an eye out for. And yeah, listeners, if that's happened to you, let us know. Um, but yeah, I'm happy with the slope change. It needed it. It was it was generously what's the op- not generously. No, it was generously one two two. And now one three two is much better. Um and I've not played in it yet, so we'll see. Uh, but enough of our golf, Elliot, because no one cares about that. People care about the golf going on around the world. And we have to start with the Solheim Cup. What's a weekend um, of golf? Team Europe beat Team USA by 15 points to 13 uh, in a spectacular, tense and hotly contested, as I wrote, uh, three days of match play golf uh, at the wonderful Inverness Club in Ohio. First time I've seen that, by the way. Um, just your first impressions, I want to say, Elliot, before we get into the sort of narratives that have come out of this. It was just such good golf, and I'm so glad Team Europe won. It got a bit squeaky yesterday on Monday on, on Labor Day in the States, but they got over the line in the end. And to do that in the States with barely any fans there because of travel restrictions is such an impressive performance. Um, just your first impressions on, on that weekend of golf. Yeah, I think that's key. It's the lack of fans. Uh, it was a, a fairly hostile environment. I mean, it probably wasn't as hostile as a Ryder Cup would be, like coming up this month but um yeah they went into the lion's pit and I, I really don't think you can overstate just how well europe played um they were underdogs on paper they were underdogs on the world rankings obviously we know these events aren't played on the world rankings um but yeah it's just a phenomenal performance from europe um i think yeah there were some really really spectacular performances from some of the players especially the likes of maguire and matilda Castron. Anna Nordquist, I thought was fantastic, as well as a number of others. And yeah, I just, I just think the more we go on, time will just tell just how great this performance was. Because yeah, it was just absolutely spectacular. Uh, Beanie is a legend; she's a Solheim Cup legend forever now. And uh, I think it's right that she's stepping down after two goes because you know, quit while you're ahead. And um, yeah, just just what a spectacular performance from everyone. Just uh, so good to see. Well, that's it about Matthew, isn't it? She's done it all now. There's nothing left to do. She's won away and at home in consecutive Solheim Cups, the first captain to do that. And quit while you're ahead. It'll be fascinating to see who takes charge of that in, in 2023. Um, but yeah, let's let's refocus on some of these performances you mentioned there, Elliot. And you have to start with Leona Maguire, don't you really? Um, the rookie captain's pick, the first player from Ireland to ever play in the Solheim Cup. She was the only player of all 24 to play in all five sessions and she was undefeated taking four and a half points um i just I, she was just just stone cold she was stone cold this whole week she hold 954 feet of putts over the five rounds she played and every time the camera went to her or her match she just knew she was going to absolutely drain one and when she took that really quick four up lead in her singles match uh, it, it was her Solheim Cup, I think. You, you could put it that way, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. That stat you just said there about the parts is incredible. Crazy, isn't it? I've <laughs> um, not done that in a year, let alone what, five rounds of golf. <laughs> yeah, she was She was in arguably, you know, one of the toughest matches of the day against Kupcho, a fellow rookie who was also unbeaten. And she just, you know, wiped the floor with her. So um, an amazing performance and just... Yeah, she's the star, isn't she, of, of an exceptional European team. I know that she was world number one amateur for an awful long time. Um, and I think she's one of our highest ranked players in the world rankings as well. So Ireland has an absolute star there. And, and luckily, so does Europe. Yeah, she she played a lot of college golf against Kupcho. And, and Kupcho is sort of having the American version of Maguire it, it, for this year. She was the rookie 
who played some unbelievable matches and it was great to see them go head to head. Um, I was surprised Maguire won. That that convinced me to be honest. Yeah, Kupcho um, really didn't take that well, did she? It was a very right. quick uh, hug and a, a very quick walk off. So um, uh, she got a bit of criticism for that, and I can understand why. But I actually quite liked her reaction. She was obviously absolutely devastated to lose in the manner that she did. So um, yeah, shame for her and uh, shame that she's getting all this criticism because um, obviously it's just shows what a competitor she is to be that um, heartbroken, I guess, after losing so convincingly. Well, I'd be the same as well. You know, in the heat in the moment, I wouldn't be too pleased. I'm sure about an hour later, I'd look a little bit happier. But I don't know what people are expecting Kupcho to do. You know, skip off the green and, you know, go get a beer. It's, it's she's just lost, you know. I'd say what I did find, you know, interesting is like judging how well the players got on, especially in their singles matches via the veracity of the hug. You know, was it just a little tap on the back or was it, you know, did they actually embrace? I think only really, I think Nordquist and Thompson have quite a, a respect for each other and they seem to really enjoy their match. But the rest of the girls are kind of like, there's no love lost between the teams, I don't think. I can't tell if these guys get on, you know, or not between the European and USA players. What, what did you think of that? Yeah, I thought it was quite a good atmosphere, to be honest. I thought at the end, uh, it looked like they were all going to go have a party together and I think they did all party together. Oh, that's nice. Um, and celebrate the Solheim Cup as a whole, as opposed to celebrating a victory. So, um, yeah, there are obviously some caddies on either side, obviously. Um, yeah. Emily Pedersen's boyfriend was was for Team USA. So uh, I think they know each other all really well. They're all based on the LPGA Tour pretty much. So um, I don't really think there's any bad blood. Good, good. I didn't want that. I know Georgia Hall and Eddie Corder are good friends and they had a great game as well. Um, for me, Elliot, just looking at all uh, the, the five sessions that took place over the three days, it, w- it was that Saturday foursomes that not only set the tone, but when we look at the final score of 15 to 13, leading by two, you could argue one Europe, the tie. Um, three and a half to a half. It was so close, though, because Europe won their three matches one up and the other match was halved. You know, this this session could have swung either way. And let's say the USA had, had won this three and a half to a half. You'd have given Europe no chance. So it was a fascinating session and sort of set the tone for the rest of the Solheim Cup. Do you think there's an argument, Elliot, that the Americans got it wrong by starting with the foursomes and should have started with their more favoured four-ball match? Um, obviously, they get the choice because they're the home, the home team. Do you think they got that wrong? Yeah, I think so. Because, yeah, that was the session that uh, lost them the Solheim Cup at the end of the day. But I think 16 of the 28 matches went to the 18th hole. So... Um, I mean, they weren't far off from winning, to be honest. It, it was so close. But yeah, if, you, if you're looking at a session for Europe to win, you probably would say the foursomes and you'd probably say the USA would have the edge in the four ball. I'm not quite sure why that is, but it just seems to always happen. It happens with the men as well. And um, the US always seem to be stronger in the singles as well, just like they were in the Curtis Cup recently. And mm. they're always strong in, in the men's Ryder Cup too. So um, yeah, I'm not sure why that is. But yeah, um, foursomes definitely isn't their forte. Let's come on to what happened on Monday then in the singles. It finished 6-6 in the end, but at, at one point, uh, and this was very early on, Europe were ahead in eight matches. Uh, there was a projected score at one point of 17.5 to 10.5. I'll be honest, at this point, Elliot, I got a bit lackadaisical. I put my feet up and said, yeah, Europe have got this. And it, it got really quite squeaky, didn't it? I was impressed with the USA comeback, I've got to say. Um, and there was a period where... Uh, Ernst had her birdie put on 18 to win the match. And then Salah stuck it really close on 17 um, in a match that was all square, I believe. And I thought, uh-oh, 
they could do it here. They could really come back. We only had Pedersen out there who was leading. And I thought this fight back was really impressive from the Americans. I really did think for maybe half an hour, Europe were going to bottle this. Yeah, it did look a little bit tight, but uh, luckily Europe got the points in early, didn't they? With maybe three and a half points out of the first four or five games, which is exactly what they needed to do. Um, And from then, basically the US literally could not make a single mistake. And, you know, golf's so tough, isn't it? People are always going to make mistakes and they would have had to get it absolutely perfect from then on in. And they almost did, to be fair, but I think Europe were just too good in the end. Even though we only had to get like one or two points, mm. we had the players to do it, thankfully. It's so tough to get over the line. Like they got to 12 or maybe even 12 and a half pretty quickly. And you were like, okay, point and a half, that's all it is. And then we were just struggling to find those little areas. And there's that, there's that wall of red from game, I think like eight from Altamare down to quarter that was, that was really quite threatening. That was the worrying part. Uh, but like you said, good captaincy from Matthew to get her her good players out, and and they delivered at the top of that um, of that singles leaderboard. Should we talk about that that putt, that incident, Elliot? The the Solheim Cup loves a bit of controversy, as does golf in general. Um, it likes to shoot itself in the foot. There's a great piece uh, on the Golf Monthly website that I think Andy wrote about golf being a little bit prehistoric, and he used the phrase "shooting yourself in the foot." Um, but you want to, should we talk about that that rules decision? What what did you think of it initially? Um, maybe talk listeners through it if they didn't see it as well. Yeah, so Nelly Corder hit her putt, um, just missed the putt right on the edge of the hole, and um, Madeleine Sagstrom threw it back, and that was that. And then it turned out that apparently some part of the ball was overlipping the hole, which means you can then wait ten seconds, which means ridiculously the putt was then deemed hold. Um, yeah, like you said, there it was golf making itself look very silly. The Americans were not calling for it to be hold. Um, the rules official, don't know. I guess you'd say being a bit of a job's worth potentially getting involved yeah. when they really shouldn't have to. Um, and from then on in, it, it puts the US in a very awkward position. Do they go and hand the next hole over, um, or, or you know, do they fight on and, and you know play officially to the rules? Because these were officially the rules. I guess you can say that. Uh, there were no rules broken or anything. Uh, and then ultimately, they went and won the match by by one up, didn't they? So, yeah, really strange. And uh, I think because it happened so early on in the Solheim Cup, it's kind of being forgotten about a little bit. Mm. Whereas had that happened on the final day or mm. um, Saturday, or sorry, Sunday evening, then uh, it really would have marred a, a really good Solheim Cup. So, so thankfully... <laughs> it was done and dusted quite early because, um, you know, we don't like controversy, do we, really? Because um, it was stupid and it made the game look very silly. Just leaves a sour taste in your mouth, doesn't it? And I th- I see it from two different ways here. I think the rules official should never have rocked up, as you said, and just sort of out of nowhere with no one asking for this or requesting this, saying, oh, USA win the whole. doesn't help she was an American lady either. I know, obviously, she would be because she's the rules official, but it looked a bit strange. Because the USA weren't asking for it. Everyone knew what happened. You should move on. I, I also think it was strange of Sagstrom to pick the ball up. I, like, I would never touch a playing partner's golf ball. I just wouldn't because it gets a bit, people get a bit touchy in that. So I don't know why she went to pick it up in the first place. I also felt really bad for Nelly Corder and Ali Ewing because they didn't ask for this. It was the rules official that put them in this awkward position. And then all of a sudden you had everyone on Twitter saying, oh, you got to concede the next hole. you got to do this. you got to do that. So in the end, it just no one came out of this looking good. Sagstrom shouldn't have touched the ball. The referee shouldn't have got involved. I don't think people should have piled on the, the court, uh, Corder and Ewing on Twitter. 
and it was all just a bit rubbish. It just kind of sucked. Yeah, it was probably Pat Hurst's job as captain to to tell them mm. what to do there. So yeah, uh, I wouldn't really blame the players at all. And yeah, the whole gimme stuff of the Solheim Cup, it just it all goes back to uh, was it 2015 in Germany with that terrible yeah the gimme that wasn't <laughs> and like the players hit their part to two inches and then they spend the next 10 seconds looking at their opponent asking for it to be good when they could just tap it in so um they're all clearly a little bit scarred by that instant still and um, maybe one day we'll get a soul home cup without controversy surrounding gimmies do you think they should just get rid of gimmies elliot in general in match play in professional match play do you because it just would get rid of any kind of grey area, wouldn't it? Just tap it in. If it is two inches, just tap it in. Like you said, why are you staring at your playing partner waiting for them to give you a nod? Yeah, I get that. But on the other hand, I love a gimme. So, <laughs> no. Of course you do. And, and yeah, I, no, love, I love, um, you know, making people putt two-footers on the, you know, 18th or 17th yeah. hole because no, no golfer's a robot. Every single golfer gets affected by pressure and, um, if there's a tiny bit of break, the uh, putt's easily missed if you don't quite hit it as well as you should. So, yeah, all for the gimmies and, and maybe even making people putt them. No, that's a good point. There's always a bit of gamesmanship there, isn't there? Um, and hopefully next time we can avoid some controversy and we'll see what happens in the Ryder Cup in a couple of weeks if we get any of that as well. So congratulations to Team Europe. Fantastic week uh, for golf, for women's golf um, and just for entertainment, really. I just I just really, really enjoyed it. Um, and congratulations, Team Europe. Um, so in the men's, so put up against the Solheim Cup this week, pretty much at the same time on the Sunday, was the conclusion of the PGA Tour season at the Tour Championship. We've got a lot to talk about this, Elliot, and it's not about the golf, really, because I don't think either of you or I decided to watch it, really. Uh, but Patrick Cantley won. He finished uh, on 21 under after beating John Rahm by one shot, birding the last. He claimed that $15 million check winning the FedEx I don't really want to talk about the golf Elliot because this whole format and the sort of the money going around it and it, it, can't they start with a two shot lead just kind of put me off the whole tournament. I watched the Solheim Cup and kind of forgot about it. I don't know if this is the same for you, but I know we've been speaking, you know, before we came on air about the whole format of the FedEx Cup and how it does probably need quite a drastic change. Yeah, so I actually did watch the conclusion. I was um, flicking TV channels honestly for about two hours every five yeah, that minutes must been, that must have been frantically doing that because it was really they literally mel reed's putt went in as cantley's putt pretty much yeah yeah that that um decisive match that katrina matthew said afterwards was the decisive moment of the, the entire cup um was happening exactly when patrick cantley and john rahm were were fighting it out on the 18th green um so i missed john rahm's eagle putt or chip i don't even know if he chipped or putted it couldn't tell you either yeah <laughs> because i was watching the solheim cup and then i went over and um i think i missed mel reed's shot as well luckily i saw the replay like instantly after but yeah it was a nightmare um just golf being really really silly to be honest um the tours need to work better together for example there's not even a pga tour event this week and this is right after the solheim cup and fedex cup clash so um yeah just we, we see it all the time with scheduling it's really bad um golf tournaments don't always have to finish on a sunday luckily the solheim cup finished on a monday and that got the entire viewership that it deserved to but um yeah it's very frustrating and then the format as well i don't know if it's going to change but i think the pga tour will have actually read quite a lot into what's been written about it and also what's been said because 
Patrick Cantlay, the guy who's just won $15 million and <laughs> an absolute ludicrous amount of money, has, has publicly said that he doesn't like the format. Uh, and then John so Rahm, <laughs> John Rahm, who was second, also has publicly said that he doesn't like the format either. So um, it's got to change, really. I mean, they, they did it to try and make it exciting and more simple. But um, you look at Formula One, you look at the Premier League, it's not whoever won the last two races. It's whoever was the best golfer in the, or the best, you know, sports athlete for the entire season so yeah i just think we need to get back to the, the way the european tour does it or the way the pga tour used to do it where the person who wins the, the season ending trophy or whatever is the best goal for that year because john Rahm was the best goal for this year he um, led the the scoring average he led uh, the money list as well and would we finish second in the end um kevin Nar finished third and, and prior to this week he, he won the sony open Whereas Colin Murakawa won the Open Championship and a WGC and he finished 26. So <laughs> it's just wrong, to be honest. And, and I really do hope that it gets rectified this year because I just want to see the best golfer win the trophy. I don't want to see drama at the end. I don't want to see it contrived because the Tour Championship is a great tournament. And, you know, they changed it the year after Tiger Woods won the Tour Championship, which was one of the greatest Tour Championships ever, probably. And, and you know, it's a moment that, reduced me to tears and I will remember it for the rest of my life and Tiger didn't win the FedEx Cup that year and rightly so Justin Rose won it rightly so because he was the best golfer that year so um yeah I think I've made my points there I'll leave the floor to you Ellie. that's a perfect rant you echo exactly what I was thinking I mean it was just a mess wasn't it and it, it just became more stark for me this week because you it was up against the Solheim Cup and you have the Solheim Cup, very easy to understand what's going on there versus this really weird format, which can't they started on 10 under. I don't understand that's supposed to translate to people. And as I think a great point you made there was comparing it to the Premier League and an F1, which when you break it down is, you know, a business and something that needs to be marketed correctly to viewers. You can't just expect people to understand it. And I remember when F1 bought in double points at the, at the end of the season for a couple of races and it then made this last race more important for some reason and the rest of the season not irrelevant but less relevant perhaps and that's what they've done this time by having people sort of handicapped basically it just doesn't make any sense and it, it makes for a pretty rotten um viewing experience and on top of the format i just found the whole money thing i find it quite boring now elliot i said i found it quite vulgar as well like 15 million dollars like i don't care as a fan i don't care which of these already rich men picks up some more money I'm sure they do. and I'm not going to say $50 million isn't a nice little earner for them. But look at Patrick Cantley's face on the on the 18th. He he looked a little bit mystified. He just looked, looked like he just played 18 with his with his pals in the medal or something. And then literally on the other channel, you had uh, the ladies playing the Solheim Cup, playing for no money with way more passion for the game and, and enjoyment out of it. So I think you had these two things at play this week that really bought the FedEx Cup under the spotlight in how wrong the format is and how boring this whole money narrative is. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think money's just a really big issue in the game now that got highlighted even more this week? Yeah, completely. Uh, I think you put it perfectly there. The money it is what it is, but I was actually at the golf club on, on Sunday in that competition I was saying, and um, the talk of the table, actually, they were, they just thought it was absolutely stupid. And, you know, taking my myself away from being a golf writer and seeing what you know fans and regular people think it is stupid 15 million dollars for 
for the FedEx Cup, it's, it's unbelievable money. And yeah, when you put it like that up against the Solheim Cup, who are not playing for any money, um, I think you said as well, um, Suzanne Peterson, 22-time winner, mm. hadn't even won $15 million in her entire career as well. So Yeah, um, there's only there's only four ladies in LPJ Tour history who have earned more than $15 million. And then Peterson was the biggest name that came out to me when, when I was researching it, who won like $14.5 million, So it's actually quite a comparable number. She won 22 times on tour. She won an order of merit um, on the LET, so the, the female equivalent on our side of the pond of what Cantley just won and was nowhere near that amount. And I, I know it's a, it's a difficult comparison because they're different eras and, and women's golf is in a much better place than it was when Pettersson was playing. But it just comes down to me that with the FedEx, that's always the narrative, isn't it? And there's always graphics about who's earning what and the commentators are going about, oh, this putt's worth X. And I just, who cares? I just, as a fan, I'm not interested in that. And I don't think the players are because there's not that much prestige behind a tour championship win. Obviously, it looks great on the CV. But over a major or a Ryder Cup appearance and a Ryder Cup win, like the money just isn't enough to make me get interested in a tournament. It, it's it's much more than that. And I think the PGA has kind of lost sight of that. And it's become a really just kind of tasteless gimmick now for me. Yeah. And I think they're also getting more and more money to, to try and fend off other, you know, golf leagues and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, I feel like money is, is starting to, to ruin the game. I mean, it probably has been for the last <laughs> 10 years. Like Dustin Johnson pulled out of the Olympics, for example, to focus on the FedEx Cup, which, you know, if he won the FedEx Cup, would he have been any more passionate than, than Patrick Cantlay would? Um, we got an amazing golf tournament at Wentworth this week and um, Rory McIlroy and John Rahm, who are going to be Europe's two best players at the upcoming Ryder Cup, representing the European Tour, are not even over there. So, um, yeah, it's a tough one. Unfortunately, money um, kind of ruins football, doesn't it? And I guess it, it ruins quite a lot of sports. I mean, I'm a massive boxing fan and some of the best fights just don't happen because of money and things that go on outside of the actual sporting arena. So, um, you know, it is a business at the end of the day, but sometimes the fans do lose out. And, you know, I'd love to see Rory at Wentworth this week. I'd love to see John Rahm. I'd love mm. to see Rory play more events on the European tour. But... Um, yeah, the business of sport doesn't really allow, does it? Yeah, exactly. And I, and I agree with that. And and I'm fine with money being in the game. It has to be. Um, I just don't like it when money becomes the one reason they're all at the tournament. And the only thing people talk about for the week is who's going to win X amount of money. It, sh it should be who's going to win this golf tournament because it's exciting and there's good players playing against each other. And yeah, they win some money at the end. Great. But that shouldn't be the be all and end all. Um, Right, I think that's our main rant's over, Elliot. I'm sweating quite a lot after that. It's a warm day anyway, but that got me really going. Um, we should talk about a little bit of the golf. And I think we should look at um, the USA Ryder Cup implications um, after Eastlake because um, their picks will be coming out tomorrow, I think. Steve Strick is six picks. Um, and th there are still some things to be ironed out with this US team. So he's given himself six picks. And it looks to me, Elliot, as though these the top four after the top six that are qualified being Finau, Shalflay, Spieth and English are all locked in as they should be. They come next on the list anyway. It's then a case of, of well, we've got two more players to choose from out of Patrick Reed, who's got some injury and, and health concerns and a, bit, and a bit of form concerns as well. Daniel Berger, uh, Webb Simpson, Scotty Scheffler. And then after some impressive performances at, at Eastlake, I think Billy Horschel, 
and Kevin Nahr could even get a little pick. Um, so outside of those top four, which I think is a bit of a consensus at the minute, who else do you see entering this US team? Yeah, it's, it's tough looking at that. Um, I'm not so sure about Harris English, although um, lots of people think that he's going to make the team comfortably. So, um, you know, fair enough. Uh, I would admit to be wrong there. Um, I think Webb Simpson needs to be on the team, doesn't he? A, a major winner, players champion, um, world number five, probably within the last year, and yeah. a, a really experienced head. Um, I love Scotty Scheffler. I think he'd be really good. And um, just going all the way down the list to uh, number 18, Kevin Kisner. I think he should be on the team, but um, I'm not yes. sure he will be. So, yeah, tough choice for Stricker and uh, probably a tougher choice for Stricker than it is for uh, Harrington, actually, I would say. But I think quite a few people are going to be a little bit surprised by his picks because there's just some really good names that I think are going to miss out. Yeah, he's going to disappoint a lot of fans and a lot of people. I think if he were to go safe, and this is presuming Reed is giving him the all clear that he's fit and ready to go, I think he'll go Reed and Simpson. If he wants to go a bit, this is this is outside the top four I mentioned, by the way. We're just presuming they're in. That that also might change, like Elliot said, with, with Harris English. I'd love to see Kevin Nahr in there. I think he would be so good for the Ryder Cup, especially if you lose Patrick Reed. I think you need like I think you need the anti-hero. Uh, I guess DeChambeau is that as well. But you need the guy that's going to get the crowd going. That's going to start walking in putts. He's a bit of a character, Kevin Nah. And I don't think this team's lacking characters by, by at all. But I think he'd be a more of a fun one than sort of a an evil one like DeChambeau is, for example. Um, <laughs> I don't think she will go for Nah, by the way. But that's what I'd love to see. Yeah, on Nah, I think actually the FedEx Cup format has um, done him absolutely no favors. If he had got in a playoff with John Rahm at the Tour Championship, beaten John Rahm at the Tour Championship, mm. had his photos taken with the Tour Championship trophy, <laughs> blasted all out on the PJ Tour homepage, on social media, everywhere. Kevin Nash just won a massive golf tournament. Then, you know, <laughs> he might guaranteed to be a pick. But the format is um, Cantlow's the winner and Kevin Nash and John Rahm very quietly finished tied first. So I think that's really not helped him, to be honest. You just wanted one more dig at the FedEx format, didn't you? There, you, you do well to work that one in. I agree though, because it would have been Ram and Nar tied. I think, she uh, not Scheffler, what's his name? Cantley would have been uh, one behind. Um, I, I, I also think Stricker's kind of hamstring himself by giving him six picks, yeah, like giving himself is. six picks. Like, why didn't he just give himself maybe four? I think six is a bit excessive, and like you said. He's going to have to disappoint some people now because he's making these decisions, not not the system, as it were, the qualifying system. Yeah, for me, I think it should either be just 12 picks or just maybe two or three because, yeah, yeah if you're only picking six, well, you're going to pick number seven, aren't you? You're going to pick number eight. You're probably going to pick number nine. You might as well pick number 10 as well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's a little bit silly for me. And, um, yeah, six is, is far too many um, because... Yeah, we know what they're going to be already, pretty much, apart from those final one or two. Yeah, so Stricker will make that announcement tomorrow. My head, yeah, my head says Reed Simpson, and then those four. My heart says like Nah and Horschel. Do you remember when Horschel won the FedEx Cup in 2014 and didn't get a pick to go over to Glen Eagles? Yeah, yeah. That was harsh. That was harsh. Maybe that would happen to Nar this year. We're talking in conjecture here. Um, yeah, so let's go Nar Horschel for my... Those are my heart picks if I was a real USA fan. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, we'll talk about Wentworth toward the end of the podcast and some European Ryder Cup implications in that 
as well. As you know, I'm always on Ryder Cup watch um, on the clubhouse. Uh, we need to talk about the Italian Open as well, Elliot. And I know we haven't watched much, much of this, listeners. We apologise, as we spoke about. There was a lot of good golf on this week. Um, but Nikolai Hoygaard uh, won. Uh, his win made history as him and his brother went back-to-back on the European Tour after Rasmus Hoygaard won the European Masters. Uh, that was a pretty cool start. It's obviously a very talented uh, family, the Hoygaards. Uh, Fleetwood showed a little bit of form. Tommy Fleetwood, I think he finished third. Perez showed a little bit of form, which was which was fun, I guess. I certainly think he'll get in the team. Uh, and that was hosted on the course that will host the Ryder Cup in 2023, um, which doesn't look great to me, Elliot. It's the one with the power lines all over it. Uh, it, it looks all right. I don't think it's going to inspire many people. Uh, it would probably look a lot better at a Ryder Cup with all the grandstands and hundreds of thousands of people. But um, yeah, it, it looked a little bit too easy on the first day. So um, I'm not sure if the, the wind got up or, or the course just got a little bit more tricked up over the weekend. But um, Adrian House was eight under par for his first nine holes with eight birdies. So um, clearly loads of birdies to be had out there. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be quite a good Ryder Cup course. It, it looked quite nice actually i thought it's the power lines for me it reminds me of a local course i've got that has got it's right by the m42 and it's got is covered in power lines and it's just where golf goes to die so it just reminds me of that that's just a personal thing more than me having a real go at the course um but yeah unfortunately we, we didn't watch much of this elliot so i've not got much more to say um i think arnaus followed those eight birdies with two bogeys which is which is quite funny obviously not for him but i thought that was quite cool Stenson's playing some okay golf again, which is good. I love seeing him play well. He's had a good three or four weeks over on the European Tour. And again, I got my Ryder Cup head on there. I still don't think he's going to get a pick, but that's always good to see. Uh, and the European Tour will move on uh, to Wentworth this week, and we'll preview that very shortly. So, Elliot, before we preview next week, you've got some golf to tell us about. You played at the Grove uh, last week in the Mizuno Pairs event. How did that go? Yeah, I did. Played in the Mizuno Golf Pairs for the first time ever with my dad. I think we were about five places above the bottom. So, so um, <laughs> yeah, didn't have the most success. Uh, I thought the course was amazing. Really a lot better than I expected it to be, actually. Um, so I'd recommend anyone who gets a chance to go and check it out. Uh, the greens were probably the best I've ever seen. And because of that, I three-putted basically every hole. So, um, yeah, I've <laughs> never been more confused on putting greens, to be honest. Um <laughs> Were they, were they were they hard to read as well as well as being like lightning fast? Yeah, almost impossible to read. Like I think about it's like I don't know, maybe a cup outside right, and then I go and miss it twelve foot left. And I just be like, what on earth happened there? <laughs> um, and then you know, leaving them six foot short, smashing them twelve foot by. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they made me um, look very very stupid to be honest. But but great mm-hmm. course, great facilities, and a, a really good event. Really cool to chat to Ross Vorno, the MD talks about how he started the Mizuno Golf Pairs back in 2013 to, to where it is now. Um, they've got the schedule coming out very soon for next year, uh, which I think is going to have about 100 events. So, yeah, fantastic. And I know a lot of listeners will probably have played in these events and a lot of people will have heard of it and, and want to play in it. So, um, yeah, good to chat to Ross. And sorry, before we play this as well, I do need to apologise for the audio quality. The Crows are a very busy place and I thought we were in a bit of a quieter area than we actually turned out to be. So apologies for the background noise. Ross Forno, Mizuno Golf Pairs MD. Thanks for joining us today on the clubhouse. You all right? Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for having me. Busy times? Very busy. Um, 
normally end of August we kind of finish the season, but starting starting April and yeah, crazy all the way through double days. We've got our last double day on the second of September, and then we kind of ease down for the end of September. And now no one can travel. Our foreign events are kind of sparse. We've got one yeah. in the manga, one at Pride Ray, but in general, yeah down now. Yeah, uh, a lot of people will know about the Mizuno golf pairs. Hope so. But may not have played in it or something, yeah. but um, yeah, just tell us how you started it and, and the history of the company. Yeah, yeah sure. So 2013, uh, my business partner Sam and I decided that we would start up a amateur golf tournament, very small, up in, up in North Wales. We thought we did it as an excuse really to go and have a few drinks and a few rounds yeah. of golf ourselves. So we started off at... Um, Aberdavi, Royal St David's, and Nevin at the time—three yeah. kind of remote courses out, out in the out, out in Wales. We and, and the idea was we do a good deal with the golf clubs. We put on some prizes, get some people together, and see how it goes. And we sat and um, both, both had full-time jobs, and, and we, we just threw it out there, put it on Golf Empire and a few other you know Facebook and things. And then one day, I remember I was working for a big oil company at the time. I remember sitting in a plant in Baltimore and my phone pinged and someone had booked into this event in North Wales and I, all right, well, there must be something to yeah. it. So that's, and that's when we started. So we had about 70 people playing that year, which was surprising because no one had heard of us really. And, yeah. and we, we kind of just um, grew from that. Wow. So you had no idea where it would lead you to uh, what no, eight years later no no master plan nothing it just happened and and we we um, were quite we ran a few more in 2015 and we had a, a kind of a um, good fortune there that the, the Rob Jackson who's now the, the head of golf at Mizuno he was playing in one of our events as a customer right um, and he said hmm, I quite like what you guys are doing we'd managed to grow a little bit more by then we were doing things like live scoring and, 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 and various things he liked it and he said, can, can Mizuno sponsor us? And we went, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Mizuno then came on board as our lead sponsor and we've been working together um, since. Uh, nice. So from those first three events in Wales, how many have you got this year? Uh, this year we're about 60. Um, and next year we're going to go to 100. So, so um, 100 events in the UK next year. Hopefully, COVID, you know, permitting yeah. we'll have we'll have eight outside the UK as well because of course the idea of what we want to do is build a, a tour which which covers UK 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 based mostly but also abroad so we'll do some nice little trips abroad nice. as well yeah I was looking on the website and, and they all seem to be sold out you're going to some amazing courses we're at the Grove here today uh, it seems to be in a really great place yeah good yeah and and, and, and it's you know thanks to the golf clubs we, we have amazing golf club partners and we wouldn't do anything without them but we, we we make sure they know we're we're a competition so so you know they do you know make sure that the greens are ironed and and, and bunkers are baked and the, the course is looking tidy for us and some of the smaller golf clubs we go to it's a fairly big thing when we bring 200 mm. 200 and odd golfers along um sometimes the, the car parks are overflowing and we, we had an issue in kington this year lovely golf club in Herefordshire, we had 200 golfers there, 208 golfers or something, and they, they, it was the biggest event they'd had uh, for some time. So, yeah. parking, parking was an issue at Kington, but it was you know fantastic venue. So we're really lucky that, that we get all the support of, of these of these amazing venues, and we're really lucky to be able to book them. Um, and the Grove's one of these one of these places that we've been here 
it's our fourth year in a row, always on the August bank holiday. Ah, we'll be, yes. We're already booked next year, so we'll, we'll be back. And, and um, yeah, we're very fortunate with the quality. Yeah, um, and you're, you're seeing good results after COVID. Obviously, golf is kind of booming at the moment in yeah, these parts of the world. Yeah, it's kind of a. Uh, we were. With three months, obviously, last year it hit our schedule, we had to, to cancel three events, but luckily we were able to push them all back, so so last year we had to cancel April, May and June, but we were able to move everything into later in the season, <clears throat> and because of the boom, we went from 25 events in, what year are we in, 2021, Twen- to in, in 2020, to we decided to do 60 this year, just just because of that, because because people are interested and seems to be working, um, because, you know, mostly we've got something like 11,000 golfers playing this year, we're, we'll have wow. something like 20,000 next year, so that's what we're hoping for, so we're, we're hoping to grow, and we just keep the, the, the you know, the quality up and the, and the value up, because that's the, that's the other thing that typically, we don't major on this, but typically you can book into our events for the same or less than the green fees that you pay so so mm. customers here are paying 160 quid but 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 to, to play in our event but the, the you know get a sleeve of golf balls a chance to win a, a place in spain but the green fees are, are more than that just just to come and play here is more than that so you know there's something that's kind of a bit of a win-win that, that we've that we're building yeah. so and again not ma- not majoring on the price because we're trying to provide value anyway but it's a really good way of coming along and playing a top course um, for probably less than you'd, you'd have to pay just for breeding fees. So it seems to work. Yeah, and uh, what about your golf game? Uh, I'm absolutely dreadful <laughs> at golf, and, and I don't um, have any. Yeah, I, I, in fact, I get worse. The more I play, the worse I get. So I've really butchered some of the best golf courses in the country. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, 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 my, my favourite golf course. I played Royal Lytham last week, and I wasn't terrible, but it was one of the best. It was one of the best golf courses I've ever played. But doesn't beat the Kings at Glen Eagles. I've butchered that. That's my favourite golf course. I've butchered that more than more than more than most. So yeah, not so good. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a um, Bad sixteen handicapper, I would say. Oh, nice. Really nice. bad, yeah. But you know, I love it. I still, yeah. I still, I still love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Oh well, thanks for having me today. Um, and no yeah, no good luck with next year, and um, you know, onwards and upwards, I guess, for yeah. the golf pairs. No, great. Yeah, thanks. And anyone listening, um, you know, we, we're open for booking. Golfpairs.com is the website. Just come on. It's nice and simple. Um, come on, book. We release our schedule in September, so whenever you know, when, we're nice and early for for the following year so yeah awesome brilliant interview there Elliot uh with Ross Forno it's a fascinating little tournament really my, my dad's definitely played in a few I think he played in Scotland somewhere in one of them and they are just all around the country like you said there's gonna be a lot going on next year so a, a really good thing to get yourself involved with um check out their website for, for more info on that uh before we start previewing next week Elliot it's time to talk about our sponsor Titleist after Patrick Cantlay claimed both the Tour Championship and FedEx Cup title with the Pro V1X golf ball and a full bag of Titleist equipment. It was the perfect end to another dominant season for the number one brand in golf, which ranked as the most played golf ball, driver, hybrid, utility iron, iron and wedge across the 51 events of the 2021 PGA Tour season. Not only that, but Titleist was also the most played golf ball at the Solheim Cup. The Pro V1 and Pro V1X were trusted by 21 of the 24 competitors at Inverness Club, including 10 of the victorious European team. Titleist also tied for the most drivers and iron sets in play with six apiece in Toledo, while nine players had at least one Vokey design wedge in their bag, more than any other brand. Head to titleist.co.uk to find your nearest fitting event and see for yourself why so many of the world's best choose Titleist.
Right, Elliot, big week on the European Tour this week. We're at Wentworth. It's returning to our screens for the European Tour's flagship event. It's the final week of Ryder Cup qualifying, uh, which is pretty huge. Uh, we've got defending champion Tyrrell Hatton headlining a really, really strong field alongside Adam Scott, Justin Rose, Victor Hovland, Tommy Fleetwood, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood, Billy Horschel, and that is just naming a few big names. Uh, you mentioned earlier that there's no Ram or McElroy, which is a bit of a disappointment uh, for European fans. But this is a super strong field. This feels stronger than I remember it being in a while with the likes of Scott and you know a couple of the Americans coming over. It should be a really exciting week. Yeah, it's great. Probably not as strong as it was a couple of years ago when we had Tony Finau, McElroy, and Ram over, I think, because um, Ram okay. and Danny Willett had a fantastic final day duel. And um, yeah, this is the best tournament of the year for me. This is the one that took place five minutes up the road from me and, and um, used to go every year. Absolutely love it. And um, yeah, just a, a fantastic tournament. Around one of my favourite golf courses uh, that I think is really underrated, actually. I think the West course is just phenomenal. And um, yeah, it's really excited to see the tournament this week. And then obviously real big Ryder Cup implications. Yeah, I'm just looking at some Ryder Cup implications now from Nosferatu on Twitter, who's like the golfing sort of world ranking genius. And it's double points this week, I think, right? And obviously you've got all the sort of contenders who are looking to qualify Wiesberger, Perez, um, who else is on the bubble? Bobby McIntyre are all there. So a win for them would pretty much put them in the team, whether that's qualification or via a pick. Um, Harrington will make his picks on the Monday following the tournament. So who do you think is going to do it, Elliot? Who do you like around this course? And it might be nobody from this European side that, that gets anywhere near, but do you think any of them might go, right, this is the week, I'm going to do it? Well... This is uh, a great course for Justin Rose, I'd have to say. I remember he finished runner-up to Luke Donald quite a while back and um, grew up just 20 minutes down the road. So this is a massive event for him. And this is one where um, if he wins, he would definitely get in the team. He's obviously never won this tournament, which uh, is a, quite a big surprise. So um, would be phenomenal to see him get it done. Um, I don't really remember Henrik Stenson ever having much success around Wentworth. I think. Uh, along with Ian Poulter, he was one of the guys that used to skip the event because the greens weren't great or because he didn't love the, the new redesign. So, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't go for him. And then Francesco Molinari won it in 2018, and he's mm. another one who really does need to win this week to get back in that Ryder Cup team. Yeah, it's that's going to be the narrative this week. I, I do, like you said, love watching golf at Wentworth. It feels like the home of golf in England, especially. Um I'm just looking at the Celebrity Pro-Am, which starts tomorrow, Elliot. I've just seen it come on Twitter. And I love looking at celebrities' handicaps and like who likes a bit of golf. I've seen a good-looking group. I've got my cricket head on here. Obviously, you won't have any idea who these people are. <laughs> uh, where's it gone? Shane Ward and Rob Key are playing together uh, with Brandon Grace. Shane Warne plays off 8.8. .8. Uh, Rob Key plays off 5, for those interested in cricket. He looks quite good. Um, who else am I with nosing at? Niall Horan's playing in it. He's playing with Tyrrell Hatton and he plays off nine. Didn't realize he was that good. <laughs> yeah, he loves his golf, doesn't he? Um, I, was, I, I, knew, uh, I knew he loved it, but I thought he might be a bit raw. Yeah, I was um, surprised to see Eddie Hearn playing. Um, obviously, he's a big boxing fan. Eddie is uh, the king of boxing. Saw so he's off 14, I think. So um, I would love to go and watch him play, but uh, I'll be in the office, unfortunately. Um, 
sorry, I'm, I'm just going to read. I don't want to. I'm not. I don't want to sit and just read these out. Um, Gary Beadle off off uh, Geordie Shore. Do you remember him and Chris Hughes off of Love Island? Both single figure handicappers. That's impressive. Um, it's it's a star studded lineup. Kevin Peterson's off zero point three. Nice. Yeah, I think he's a Wentworth member as well. Um, ah, of course. Another is, yeah. name as well, Helen Skelton, winner of the Slingsby Golf Academy. She's off thirty six. Very new to the game, and um, yeah, what a day that's going to be for her. Oh. She's going to be very, very nervous. Wow! Imagine and being yeah. new to the game off thirty six, and you're off at Wentworth. <laughs> that's yeah. got to be that's got to be some challenge. Uh, yeah, but if you haven't seen the Slingsby Golf Academy, I'd really recommend watching it. Uh, you can watch it on the Golf Monthly Instagram channel. Just go onto our IGTV section, and we've got all the episodes there. It's fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah, that's enough of me reading out all the celebrities. I'm going to sit and enjoy that uh, in my own time. Yeah, so really looking forward to Wentworth. That'll be that'll be a fantastic tournament. I think it's pretty pretty good coverage on Sky this week as well. They've got extended coverage there. Uh, before we head off this week, we'll do a few uh, listeners' questions. Uh, thank you again for these. Simon Chadwick asked, why do Americans take the Solheim slash Ryder Cup so seriously? Obviously, Europeans do, but we don't have any inquests or blame the players and captains after every loss. I, I tend to agree with Simon here that it seems to be taken a lot more seriously in America, like a loss. And I think it might be America's slight superiority complex um, that makes them think they're going to win everything. But it, there just seems to be quite a harsh backlash against the ladies who, who lost this week. Yeah, I guess. Um, it's probably because they do have the, the better individuals, I guess. So if you think about it in like football terms, if uh, Man City were losing every week, the manager would probably be sacked and they'd probably um, have all these meetings and crisis talks and whatever. Whereas, you know, Europe are probably more like a, an Arsenal <laughs> or maybe not even Arsenal because, you know, we are bottom of the table, but uh, sort of a, a top four team that, that just perform really well and have great team spirit. Yes. Um, but yeah, I guess we don't really lose that often, do we? So it, there's there's not that much room for these inquests. I mean, I think they've won four of the last six, and the European Ryder Cup team as well have won well over fifty percent of of the Ryder Cups this century. So yeah, I think as well when we lose as well, we, we kind of know that we're up against very strong opposition. Whereas uh, USA are always the favourites; they're always the favourites of the world rankings. And mm. when something goes wrong, I guess it means that something has actually gone wrong. That's such a good point, actually, that like, I remember we lost in 2016 at Hazeltine, was it? We were just like, you know what? The Americans have got a really good team and we lost. And then it's like, I feel like the Europeans go with with a no-lose, like a no-lose attitude, if you know what I mean. Like, if we win, great, that's awesome. If we lose, you know, they're quite a good team, especially when we go to America. I'm talking about the men here specifically. When we go to America, it feels like we're always well up against it and a win's like a bonus. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, if if we got steamrolled at the Solheim Cup, seventeen eleven or something, we'd probably say fair enough. USA were going to win anyway, and they they played fantastic golf. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely uh, about who's favourite and who's outsider. Uh, another question from Declan: uh, Do you think the Americans got too involved with the noise and hype of the supporters at the Solheim Cup, thus affecting their performance? Um, when there's a crowd that on your side, like it was, it was a hundred percent, maybe ninety nine percent, because of the travel restrictions for Europeans coming to the states. Do you think they got a bit worked up in it? They tried to over egg it. They were doing a lot of this thing with their arms to to, to g up a crowd, even though they just like halved the fourth. And it, I just found it. I found it a little bit 
like they weren't using the crowd that well. Maybe it's because the crowd couldn't get up for that much until until Monday afternoon. But I tend to agree with Declan as well here. Yeah, I know what you mean. There was a lot of arm waving, wasn't there, after um, halves and, and nothing special. So, um, yeah, I mean, probably because it was just a US crowd, it was a little bit difficult because they had no kind of European fans to fight against. So um, maybe that's what it was. And even on the first tee as well, they all were hitting their first tee shots with the crowd chanting USA, which... Um, oh. I, so, I, don't, I don't want to interrupt you, mate. I can't stand that. I know Watson started <laughs> it in 2012, but it winds me up so, so much. It, I just, I can't, I can't put my finger on why. But I know the Europeans do it over here as our Poles did it, obviously. But it just sucks. Like, there's no, they're cheering really loud and you hit it. And then the noise actually drops after they hit it. I think it's jarring. It should be the other way around. That's just yeah, me. And then they find um, the, the left raffle or the bunker. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, what's the point in that? they just snap hook one and i always i also notice that and this is the Ryder cup and Solheim cup when they do that or even if they haven't got the crowd cheering no matter what shot they've hit on the first tee they just pick the tee up and walk away i think i'd do the same no matter where it's going yeah yeah they do don't they um yeah you're like oh she must have flushed that and, <laughs> and five seconds later it's plugged up the face and the, the fairway bunker such a Ryder Cup Solheim ism, that isn't it? On the first tee, you just pick the tee up regardless. Uh, okay, one more before we go. First, he asks, uh, when losing a match, should the loser be 100% gracious in defeat and congratulate the victor properly? I think we kind of alluded to this with um, one of the American ladies earlier. I don't think you need to be immediately, personally. I think in the immediate aftermath of a loss. And listen, I've never played in a Ryder Cup, so <laughs> I don't know. But... In in a in an environment that pressurized, I don't think you need to be. I think if you're playing, you know, in your winter league knockout, you should be and go for a beer. But on the green at a Solheim Cup, no, you can you can act however you want. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good point. Winter league knockout, you know, shake their hand and go for a beer after <laughs> yeah. and, and have a laugh. But Solheim Cup, Ryder Cup, um, Cup Joe, you know, you never know. She might never play in the Solheim Cup before, and she's absolutely heartbroken. Um, been completely demolished by Leona Maguire. Uh, she did go and hug her after. Um, and yeah, Leona Maguire then went and celebrated. So it's not like Kupcho was going to, you know, smile and laugh with her and, yeah, you know, celebrate with her because she potentially just lost at a crucial point that, that would have lost USA the Solheim Cup. And again, like football, after a match, the, the opposing team in the Champions League final don't go in shake everyone's hands and have a laugh with them. They, they're absolutely devastated. They, they might even cry on the pitch or just completely storm off. So, yeah, I think these high-level athletes are very used to winning. And when they don't win, um, they are gracious to, to a certain extent, some more than others. But, yeah, I've got no problem with that. Yeah, and don't don't cry on the 18th green in your Winter League match if you do get knocked out. It's not, it's not that deep. Uh, do you know what that reminds me of, actually, is when Justin Rose won his singles match against Mickelson. And sort of turned, you knew the European team was over his left shoulder and sort of gave it the big come on. But Mickelson was also there. And I think you saw Rose go, oh, so, I didn't mean to do that. Sorry. It looked like he'd just given it bigger in his face. Yeah. And Mickelson also put his thumbs up, didn't he, during that <laughs> match? And it's like, you know, fair play from Phil. That was um, very gracious of him. But, you know, deep down inside, he was thinking, how on earth you just hold that putt? I um oh, I hate you right now. So much. yeah, was that the one on seventeen? That was yeah, yeah. And he, yeah. He gave it a thumbs up, didn't he? That was quality. What what a Ryder Cup! We've got all that to look forward to this year as well. That will about wrap it up this week. Uh, Elliot, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Dan. 
and the clubhouse will be back next week thank you so much for listening